At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with Julie Floro, who is a creative and fantasy photographer based in Pennsylvania. She is incredibly talented, as you can see by her work. If you take a look at our blog post, you'll see these incredibly beautiful images in different locations that have a fairy tale esque feeling to them. She's very good at bringing her vision to life and working with different clients to bring their unique visions to life as well. We talk about her work with clients, how she got into photography, and much more. Please enjoy. Hi, Julie. Welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Hi, Taya. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Um, my name is Julie Floro. I am a photographer from Pennsylvania, kind of near like the Philly area, if anyone is familiar with that. I specialize in creative, fantasy, and fashion photography. Your portfolio is really amazing, but if there's anyone who's listening who's not familiar with fantasy photography, could you define it for them? When I think of fantasy photography, I often think of something that doesn't feel quite from this world. Something that kind of transports you when you look at it or it feels like a like a glimpse of a dream. I think that when people hear the term fantasy photography, it's easy to think really literal and think uh, fairy tales like kings and queens and swords and crowns. But I try not to be too literal with that term. I feel like that can tend to box me in and I never want to do that. So... Sometimes my fantasy work is literal, like mermaids or queens or knights. And sometimes it's just something that is sort of average, but I shoot it in a hyper-creative way. So when the viewer sees it, it still somehow manages to transport them somewhere else. 
Okay, yes, that makes sense. And that's a great answer. And I like that you give yourself that flexibility, because I don't think any photographer likes to be boxed in either by others or by themselves, because you want to have that freedom in your creativity. I think that's the point of art in general to express yourself in different ways. So it's great that you found something that works really well for you. And even when you do take photos that don't involve swords or or crowns or anything like that, I can still sense that fantasy feeling in the photos. So you're Thank you. definitely very good at achieving that. Thank you so much. My favorite thing is actually to kind of often mesh the two sides, like the literal and the the not so literal, like something that feels more close to home. I love meshing those two things. That seems to be like my sweet spot. But yeah, I love giving myself room to explore all different aspects of what fantasy might be. Very exciting. And what camera equipment do you use? So I shoot on a Nikon D750 and 99% of the time I'm shooting on a Nikon 35 millimeter 1.4 lens. It's my favorite go-to lens that I just, I swear by it. I don't feel like I need anything else. I love that setup so much. The bokeh is amazing. I've When I was looking through your work, I noticed that the backgrounds are just perfectly blurred, but the subjects are very sharp. And I think that's a balance that a lot of photographers want to achieve. So good to know what lens you're using. Thank you so much. And how did you get into photography in the first place? Oh, it's been a long journey. <laughs> It was about 19 years ago. It makes me feel old. (laughs) 19 years ago, my dad gave me his film camera. So I was about 12. Uh, My dad was a wedding photographer. So he had a bunch of gear and he just randomly gave me his film camera and I would take pictures on it. So like I learned everything that I knew about photography initially with film And I would take pictures of the sky or my friends or flowers or simple things like that. And I really loved that. And uh, people would always encourage me saying that I had a really good eye for photography. And when I got a little older, I discovered Flickr. I don't know if you remember Flickr. but um, Yes, that was also one of the first websites that I joined. Flickr was amazing. I loved it. So when I got a little older, I discovered Flickr and I found photographers like Alexander Stoddard and Alexandra Sophie, who I think you actually said you also interviewed Alexandra Sophie one time. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's um, true. Yeah. So I found I found those two photographers specifically and I was just in complete awe over what they were making. Like at that age, I had never seen anything even remotely like that so creative. And I didn't know that you could make photos like that. It felt like I was glimpsing into another world. I like when I think about Alexandra Sophie, I'm picturing this old photo that she shot forever ago. And it was like her little sister and her little sister is wearing a bear costume and she's looking at a real bear or she would photograph girls just draped in flowers and pretty dresses in sunlight. And it was just so beautiful. Or Alex would do all kinds of really weird self-portraits out in the woods with interesting props. And just, they were all so storytelling and amazing. I just, I couldn't get enough of it. So shortly after that, I got my own DSLR. I think my first camera was a Nikon D90 I started dabbling in self-portrait photography because I was too shy to ask people to model for me. 
So I would take photos in my room or like in my yard or in the woods, but I was always drawn to really creative stuff. Like I remember shooting lots of dreamy things with ballerinas and glitter and clowns or just really weird artsy creative stuff that was no longer the sunsets or the flowers, but more conceptual. I loved how it felt like I was somehow creating images that didn't feel of this world. And even when I got a little older and I was finally brave enough to start asking people to be in my photos, I was always having them dress up in something really fanciful or elaborate and we'd just be running off to the woods to shoot. So that creative subject matter from the start has always been like what I really, really loved. And it's just kind of stuck with me all these years. That's a great answer. What an incredible journey as well. I am very familiar with Alexandra's work and I've also been following Alex's work for a while and they've both influenced me in different ways as well. So it's nice to see that we have mutual inspirations and I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar with their work as well. And I think that's a really important part of many photographers' journeys, this initial inspiration that you get from other people and the community part of it, because Flickr back in the day had a very strong community feeling to it. You didn't necessarily have to be a professional photographer, but if you contributed something, then you were already a part of this family, let's say. And I'm sure you can relate to the feeling a lot of the listeners can as well in their own ways. But yeah, it's really important, I think, to be a part of something that accepts you and that also inspires you to do better. Mm, Yeah, totally. 100%. On your website, you say that you guide your models every step of the way. What posing tips can portrait photography beginners share with their clients? Oh, that's a good one. So I going into a shoot, I often try to remember that people who are being photographed are nervous. Like before this call, you and I were talking about being how I was nervous to go on the podcast. And like, that's completely normal. And so I try to also remember that about people who I'm photographing, whether it's their first time or not, being photographed can feel super vulnerable. So it's really important to me that I create a safe space where they don't feel awkward. And I think that the best photos happen when the subject is comfortable. Like most people will say, oh, I've never done this before. I don't know how to pose. I don't know what to do with my hands. So My biggest tip to other photographers would be to never leave your subject stranded, like awkwardly gawking at the camera or expecting them to just start posing. I will never put someone in front of the camera and expect them to know what I want. I feel like it's my job to convey that to them. So I believe it's our job as photographers to orchestrate the moment. And then once your subject feels more comfortable, they might feel confident to start offering posing suggestions or just kind of moving on their own. But I often like to start people with simple poses like stand here nicely and look off to the distance or walk towards me or twirl in your dress. You know, you can offer really simple pose ideas that gets your subject comfortable. I also try to be really intentional about conveying my vision to the model, whether that be the mood of the shoot or the theme or maybe a character that I'm having them be. 
I feel like if you don't explain clearly who the character is or what the vision is, it's like your subject is just going into the shoot blindly trying to guess what it is that you want from them. So even if you're new to photography, telling your subject like, hey, here's the vision for the shoot or the story I'm trying to tell or explaining the character that they're playing, that's going to help both you and the model with pose ideas. I have an example if that's helpful. Sure, of course. So um, what I mean by like explaining the vision will help create posing. So like recently I did a mermaid shoot and I did mermaids and sailors. And if I were to just put all the mermaids and the sailors into one location and not explain my vision to them, they might not know exactly what direction to take the mood. So they might question like, oh, are we dark sirens about to drown the sailors? Or are we romantic, magical mermaids in love with the sailors? So initially, like when I did that shoot, I explained to them like, this is romantic, this is dreamy. It's going to be very magical and lovey. So even if I'm posing them the whole time, still them knowing the mood of the shoot or my intentions or my vision is going to help them with their own posing while they're kind of like sitting there doing their thing. So I feel like it's always really helpful to explain that the background and the vision to the subjects. And then my last tip would be to act out the poses with them. Sometimes it can feel silly being in front of camera, but I I try to take the awkwardness and the silliness out of it by if I'm telling them to do something, I might act it out with them. Like if I'm like, oh, twirl around or or dance or do some do some specific thing, I'll show them so that they can see me doing it. And then that often will help convey the vision to them as well. Very interesting and great advice. Thank you for sharing that. I think clarity is definitely very important. And taking the silliness and the awkwardness out of it by showing them the poses yourself, I think is very helpful as well. Because if they see you doing a certain pose, then they'll feel more confident because they know that the photographer knows what they're doing and that the photographer is comfortable enough to try different things as well. So yeah, it's very important to have a connection with anyone you photograph. So you often, you have clients and then you also collaborate with other photographers and artists as well. I really like your shoots with other artists. They have a magical feeling to them. It's nice, I'm sure, to collaborate with people who have a different vision to see what you can create together. What advice would you give to people who want to grow their network and find like-minded people to collaborate with in their area? Uh, Really, I'd just say just reach out and ask them. If there's someone on the internet who you admire, just send them a message and ask if they want to hang out and collaborate or create something with you. Like the worst thing that they can say is no, and that's okay. Many of the models who I frequently work with now were originally once total strangers. And I just slid into their DMs like, hey, want to shoot sometimes? And I think that people right now are so hungry for community that it's really rare that you're going to reach out to a model 
or a colleague and they're going to say no. The scariest part is is asking, but really just ask. And I guess that's more so if you're looking for models or creative friends to network with, but also if you're looking to collaborate with larger accounts or high-end brands or designers, I would make sure that you have a clear and solid portfolio like your Instagram account and that you have a clear vision. Like when I reach out to wardrobe designers, I'll often start by telling them what I admire about their work, why I think our work would mesh well, and what some of my ideas are for shoots that I would collab with them on. And I also let them know what they will gain in return by working with me, which is usually they get uh, the free edited photos in return. Um, And again, the worst thing they can say is no, and that's totally okay. There will always be other opportunities. I love that mindset. And wardrobe designers, can you talk a little bit more about that? Is that somebody who designs clothing or is that a specific niche? Yeah. When I say wardrobe designers, I just mean creators or makers who are making dresses or headpieces or like fancy high-end clothing, that sort of thing. That's often the kind of people that I will reach out with to work with and gain access to what they're making and, and try and incorporate that into my work as well. Does that answer your question? Totally. Yeah. No, it piqued my interest because I think it's something worth keeping in mind for any of the listeners who do want to get into portrait or fantasy photography, because oftentimes you do want different kinds of outfits. And of course, you can find those in thrift stores. But if you want something dreamier, like you often take photographs of yourself and other people in these incredibly beautiful dresses. And I think to get to that level, it's always worth to reach out to people whose fashion sense you like and who produce the kind of clothing you would like to wear or you would like your models to wear. Definitely. I love a good thrift store, but there's just something about shooting those really beautiful, high-end, super creative pieces that like, you just have to find the people who are making those things and reach out to them and see if they will take a chance on you and share their work with you and let you photograph it. And those have been some of my favorite shoots to do. It took me a long time to get to the point where creators and designers were willing to send me their pieces. But that's again, like when I said, have a have a clear portfolio and a clear vision Because they're basically wondering, okay, why should I send you this really expensive item of clothing, lend it to you? Why should I lend this expensive item of clothing to you? And what can I expect in return? So having a really nice, clear, solid portfolio is really, really helpful with that. Great advice again. When it comes to renting very expensive clothing, do you usually need to sign a contract as well? I do sometimes. I I have. I'm thinking about some of my experiences. Some of my experiences, the de- the designers have just said, okay, I love your work. I trust you. And then, of course, we have our whole written conversation, which is sort of contract in itself. And they'll often just send me pieces. But I have also worked with designers who 
create extremely high-end expensive items and they do require a contract. Like I recently shot with Eastern Wind Studios, who is amazing. She makes these incredible handmade, they're vegan, they're they're not real fur, but um, she makes these incredible handmade animal headdresses and they are very expensive and they are easily, you can easily damage them. And she had me sign a contract stating that, you know, if, if anything happens to it, I have to pay for it. So it is kind of nerve wracking, but it's also, I mean, contracts are good on both ends. Like it, it's a promise that she's going to send me this item. And it's a promise to her that I'm going to come through with the photos as well and take care of it. Definitely. I've seen those headdresses in some of your photos. The first one that comes to mind is the one with the wolf. And yes, I was, I was wondering about it. I was like, is that real? <laughs> no, it's not real, but like it looks so real, right? <laughs> it does. It looks so realistic. It kind of caught me off guard by how realistic yeah. it looks, but it, it works so well in the photographs. You offer dream photo shoots to your clients, and those involve bringing their ideas to life, which I think is really exciting for both you and the clients. But I can imagine that it's a challenge as well because you never know what a client will ask you to create for them during a shoot. What is the most complicated dream photo shoot that you've had and why? I love this question because when when you ask me this question, I immediately think of one shoot. Well, I have two shoots. I have a client shoot and then I have a, a personal project shoot. If I could share both. Of course. So the first complicated shoot that comes to mind was a client shoot. And again, like you never know what someone's going to bring to the table. So I did a shoot a few years ago and it was with a client who is an incredible artist. Uh, She paints and she also is an amazing tattoo designer, illustrator. Shout out to Erin, if you're listening. Her handle is Dink Inc. Anyway, I was doing a shoot for her and she wanted to incorporate her love for painting and art. But of course, we wanted to make it really magical. So we decided to make a giant canvas out in a field and have her painting on this larger than life canvas. So I got this, I used a canvas drop cloth that you'd just get from like a home depot kind of store was probably like 10 feet tall by eight feet wide and we lug it out to this field to try and set it up and she's going to be painting on this enormous canvas and the wind starts blowing i was trying to hang it on like a a backdrop stand which is flimsy as anything i don't know why i thought that was going to work but we're trying to set up this enormous heavy canvas And the wind is blowing and the sun is starting to set and I'm getting a little panicked that this isn't going to work and this is a paying client who paid to be here and keeps falling over. And at one point she's even like, oh, uh, does this normally happen? And I was like, no. (laughs) And so I had to call my husband and he had to drive out into the field. Luckily, he was sort of close to where we were. He had to bring 60 pound weights and some rope and we had to weigh down the canvas 
so that she could paint on this enormous 10 foot tall canvas in the middle of a field. And it worked. Thank God it worked. And it was just, it was so elaborate. Like she painted this enormous masterpiece on it. And by the end of the shoot, she was beautifully just covered in colors and paint. And we had paint cans and it was a mess. So that was, that was a lot. That was a lot to do. That was my first client experience that was really difficult, but it's still to this day, one of my all time favorite shoots I've ever done. My other big complicated shoot was a personal shoot that I did myself where you might've seen, I did a shoot with a burning piano and that of course, I mean, I feel like I don't even need to explain why that is really complicated. My uncle had this piano that had been sitting outside at his house for a long time and it was warped and it was ruined. And I was like, Oh, that piano is so cool. And he was like, you can take it. You can do whatever you want with it. You can set it on fire for all I care. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I like that idea. So I ran with it and I took a model and I brought the model back to his house. And we had to lug this enormous piano on dollies with wheels like out into the grass, which was a feat in itself. And then we literally set the piano on fire, which is so dangerous. I, Looking back, I'm like, wow, that was really dumb. <laughs> but it was so cool. And I do not recommend that people do that. But I will say it was one of the coolest shoots that I've ever done. I mean, the model was so close to the fire. It was, again, so dangerous. But like the pictures and the videos were incredible. But that was probably the most complicated personal shoot I've ever done. Both sound very complicated, but rewarding as well. As you said, those are some of your favorite shoots that you've done. And I think part of the reason is that you put so much effort, so much more effort than usual into both those shoots because of the weather conditions or because of the sheer weight of the piano. And definitely for photographers, that stays on their minds their whole journey. Uh, you, mm. you look back on those most challenging shoots and you look back on them fondly because you know how much work you put into them. And the results are obviously absolutely incredible. The piano on fire shoot, that one I saw on your website, I think. And yeah, that stood out to me. And again, it made me wonder, was that piano really on fire? And it was, so <laughs> good to know. <laughs> yes, it was. And yes, I will never, ever forget either of those shoots. On your blog, you have a post that emphasizes the importance of taking creative risks. I really enjoyed reading that because you said that it's important to push yourself out of your comfort zone. And I think that's something a lot of photographers should do more to find inspiration and to also discover something new about themselves. Can you give the listeners three creative risks that they can try taking this week? Yes, I love this question. This is a topic that I'm so passionate about. So I'm happy that you're asking me this one. I feel like it's so easy to get into this habit of finding what works for us as photographers or what we're really good at or what feels safe or stuff that like you know your audience will really like and just shooting the heck out of that over and over and over. But after a while, that can start to feel really stale and we aren't really growing as artists if we aren't continuing to push ourselves to try new things. 
So some of my favorite shoots I've ever done have been times where I did something uncomfortable. And like, I don't mean safety wise, always make sure safety wise, you are comfortable. But I mean, times like where I shot in light that I wasn't used to, or I played around with a concept or a mood that I've never done before, or I was shooting something that felt experimental. So three creative risks to take. I would say an easy one that you can incorporate is to play with new light. Like for me, my go-to light is natural light outside two hours before sunset. I feel like that is many photographers go-to light. But trying to play with new light, like shooting at blue hour, which is the time after the sun sets, or shooting in the morning, or using candles, or lamps, or ambient light, or you know anything that isn't light that you would normally shoot with, try experimenting with that. And I always find that it's so fun to try new things. And I always leave situations like that feeling extra inspired. So that's my first creative risk I would suggest taking. My next creative risk I would suggest is to look at what you have around you already with new eyes. And what I mean by that is to utilize everyday spaces that don't seem photo worthy There was a while ago where I did an in-home challenge where I tried to look at all these little spots in my home with new creative eyes and I tried to photograph them in ways that felt really creative. And like, it's so easy to be like, oh, I need this really big, extravagant, fancy location. I need expensive studios. I need blah, 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 you know? But there's so much creative potential at your fingertips if you just try to look at them in a new way. So I would challenge listeners to look at the spaces that they have around them. Same with items or clothing. Look at like props that you have in your house or clothes or honestly, even junk like trash. Like I've done stuff with old paint cans or yarn or boxes or curtains, even bug wings that I found outside. Like Everything around you can be used in a creative way if you really put your mind to it. So that's my second suggestion for a creative risk to take. And then my last one would be to try unconventional posing that is outside of your go-to poses. Like I think we all as photographers, when we go on set to a shoot, we have our go-to poses. Like I said earlier, walk towards me or look off to the distance or twirl in your dress, you know, stuff that we have everyone do. And it's really fun to just try to go to a shoot and say, okay, I'm gonna not do or like do those poses first, sure. But then try to do odd, strange, weird, different posing that you've never done before. Like I recently, it's one of my newest posts on Instagram. I went to an abandoned school and I photographed a couple in an old school room and I told them, okay, we aren't going to do any conventional, normal posing. I'm going to have you do really odd, weird stuff the whole time. And they were 
totally on board, which was amazing. And I just got to play with interesting, unique, creative posing. And I left that shoot feeling so inspired. And even my audience received it really well. They loved it. They felt like it was so cinematic and creative. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, it was all thanks to taking creative risks and and working with a couple who allowed me to try posing that was outside my comfort zone. So that would be my third suggestion for a creative risk that people can start taking today. I love each and every single one of those risks. Thank you so much for taking the time to dive into all of them and explain them so thoroughly. I love that you are open to experimentation. As we said earlier, it's so important to try new things because you can start to feel kind of restless and stale if you stay in your comfort zone. So it is very important to push yourself, try new things. And when you were experimenting with those poses at the school, I'm sure you felt a little bit uncomfortable at first because you were working with models and you weren't sure how the results would turn out, right? And how long did it take you before you started to really enjoy the process? I'd say probably about 30 minutes because initially I was like, oh, are they going to think this is weird? Are they going to like this? Am, Am I doing this right? But it really helps. Like the couple was so sweet. So it really helps working with people who are going to be fully open to just letting you experiment. Like, I don't know that I would experiment to that extent with paying clients, but it's really helpful to get together with friends or models that you know, who are just going to let you experiment with your craft. And yeah, initially it's weird and it feels awkward, but There's just like this spark of excitement when you do something creatively that you've never done before. And you look at the back of your camera and you're like, wow, that actually looks good. That just gives you this confidence boost to just keep going. And like I said, it it definitely helps having people who, who are there to allow you to just kind of play and do your thing. Definitely. And speaking of photo shoots and working with friends and experimenting, you often share behind the scenes videos with your followers on Instagram, especially. And you sometimes share detailed stories about your photo shoots, which I think really helps the viewers connect with you as a photographer and with the photographs that you're sharing. It's amazing to see the combination of visual and written storytelling in your portfolio. What is your process of coming up with ideas like? So I'm often initially inspired by one thing, That one thing might be a prop or an item of clothes or a location or things in my everyday life that I see. And I'll see that thing. And if it sparks creativity in me, it's kind of like this snowball where my brain will just start spiraling into ideas. For my personal projects, I usually find the most creative satisfaction when I am telling a story with purpose I like to shoot pretty things, but after being a photographer for nearly 20 years, I'm not always satisfied with just shooting something that's just pretty for beauty's sake. I really love the challenge of having to figure out a story behind the images and behind the location or the prop or the outfit that sparked the the creativity in me. Um, I, I love the challenge of finding a deeper meaning or creating a shoot that 
makes the viewer ask questions or create their own narrative. It's really something that I've had to train my brain to do because it forces you to really use your imagination and think outside the box. But after years of storytelling with my images, it really comes pretty easily to me now. Very interesting. And since you've been taking photos for almost 20 years, which I think is so incredible, I'm sure you've gone through different phases and periods where you felt more inspired than other times. Is there a point in your almost 20 year journey where you felt that you were maybe losing interest in photography and how were you able to get back into it again? Yes, I, this is a story that I'm really passionate about. So like I said, initially when I started my journey, I started just really creative and passionate about just doing like weird conceptual fantasy stuff. And then there came a point in about, I guess I was about 22, midway through my journey where I was trying to make this a full-time business. And I found myself asking questions like, okay, what can I do to book clients? What can I do to be successful? What do I need to do to make this work so that I can make this my full-time job? And I really thought the answer was to try and imitate all the other people on the internet who I saw being successful. And at that time, the style that was in was uh, very light and airy and filmy and people shooting a lot of like weddings and engagements and newborns. And so I kind of tossed my style to the side, my creative fantasy, colorful, high contrast style that I loved. I put it to the side and I just started making this light and airy, filmy wedding lifestyle be who I was. And I did that for a couple years and I found that I was really successful in it and I was booking so many clients. But I got to a point where it wasn't satisfying me anymore and I just felt like something was missing. And I started questioning like, Oh, I'm tired. This is, this isn't fun for me anymore. Maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And I don't really remember what it was. I just had this moment where I was like, you know what? This is not serving me anymore. This is not really bringing me joy. I miss being creative and I miss my old style, the style that felt truly like me. And so in 2017, I just remember that being such a crucial year for me because I pretty much flip-flopped back to the wild creative fantasy stuff. And not only did I flip back to that, but like I went hard after that and I started really marketing it. And initially everyone said like, there's no market for this. People don't, people aren't going to book this kind of stuff. But I was so determined that Yes, there is a market for this. Yes, I can find success in this style. I can be successful and I can still be happy and enjoying my craft. And I did. I <laughs> I managed to make this a job where now people book me to bring their wildest dreams to life. And it's incredible. But there was definitely a point in my life where there was that little hiccup where I questioned if I even wanted to do photography anymore. And really, it was just because I wasn't following my heart and I wasn't doing what I loved doing. I was just trying to be like other people. 
I really like that answer. And I admire you for finding a solution without discouraging yourself. Because I think oftentimes when you do find yourself in a situation where you feel that you need to take a certain direction that you're not entirely comfortable with, you usually get discouraged. You might even give up on something. So instead of giving up, you paved your own path. You found your own way and you ended up working in it very successfully as well. And I think you're a great example of somebody who tried something that worked really well for them, even if it wasn't conventional, and made it into something that people accept and are very happy to embrace as clients. And it totally makes sense to me because traditional portrait shoots are great, but when you take it to the level of fantasy, I think it's very appealing and it's so unique. And yeah, I'm really impressed by this story and thank you so much for sharing it. And I'm so happy that you are in a place where you can make money off of your passion. Thank you. Again, that's why I always uh, really encourage people to just do what they love doing and the rest will follow. If, if you're finding joy in your art, it's all going to come together. And speaking of business and marketing, there was a video that you posted recently that really stood out to me. You said that working with a photographer is basically free because if you divide the price by the rest of your life, then it'll basically amount to nothing, but you'll be able to keep the photos forever. And I thought that was such a great formula. <laughs> it makes total sense. And I, th I just wanted to mention it here because I think that more photographers should have this in mind when pricing their shoots and pricing them fairly. And I don't want people to feel uncomfortable or awkward when they feel like they're asking for too much because we're also bringing something very big to the table as photographers. Definitely. I loved that audio. That was not my original audio. I borrowed it from another photographer. I've seen, I've been seeing lots of photographers using, using that audio, but yes, it's so true. Like it, it can be so scary to put yourself out there and put a number on your work and, and hope that people will respect that number and want to pay it. And, but when you really think about it, that like that, like, like the audio, the photos last forever. And it's so important to remember that like we are creating pieces of art that are literally going to last a lifetime. And I, it was, it was even eye opening for me to hear that little audio. Like, yeah, this is really cool. People will spend money on a Starbucks and it'll be gone in 10 minutes or shoes or clothes and it'll be gone in a year. But like, we put a price on photos that will last forever. So I, I really hope that that encourages people to price accordingly and, and price for what you know you're worth. Yeah, it's very empowering. You recommend many different films and documentaries on Instagram. What is a recent documentary, series, or movie that has had an impact on your photography? I find a lot of inspiration in movies. I've done shoots inspired by... Narnia, Lord of the Rings, Peter Pan, Fantasia, uh, Stranger Things, Alice in Wonderland, so many more I can't remember off the top of my head. But I just love movies. I love TV. When I'm watching these things, I'm taking notes of costumes, the lighting, overall aesthetics, how things make me feel, cool shots or angles, all kinds of stuff like that. 
when I'm thinking about an actual example, actually just last week, I was doing a pirate shoot. And right before we did the pirate shoot, we were all watching Pirates of the Caribbean. And there's this scene. I don't know if you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, but there's this scene where the pirates are, they're skeletons. They are undead. They're cursed and, and they are in their skeletal form and they're walking in the water towards the camera and they're in this formation where like they're walking towards the camera, but they're all kind of staggered. And it was so cool. And I even to the people who were sitting in the room, I was like, Oh my gosh, we're doing that pose. So like I'm watching this movie that's just for fun, but at the same time, I'm taking note of cool poses that leave an impact on me. Or like there was a scene where they were walking in the sand and I noticed the way that the water in the sand caused their reflection to also be in the sand. And again, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm shooting that tonight at the pirate shoot. I'm going to try and get a shot like that. So then when I went later that night to do the pirate shoot, I remembered that scene with the pose that I loved and the scene with the um, reflection. And I was able to incorporate that into my shoot. And those are two things I probably honestly wouldn't have even thought about if I hadn't watched the movie beforehand. So I love watching movies and, and taking notes of things like that that I can then use in my shoot. There's also a series. I don't know if you're familiar with the series Servant by M. Knight. He was, uh, he directed many of the episodes in that series. And I really, I love M. Knight. He is my favorite director. I really value his creative choices and his vision. And I was watching this interview that he did about his intentionality behind Servant and the creative choices that he made that made his audience feel something just from the small details. And anyone who knows me knows that I am super intentional with my details. I love creating things that feel cinematic, storytelling, things that evoke feelings. Like seriously, the best compliment that I can get is when someone says, wow, this photo made me feel something. So I was watching this interview by M. Knight where he was talking about a servant and what did he say? He, I wrote it down. I wrote it down so that I have it. In the interview, he was talking about things that... What makes something feel really cinematic? And it stuck with me ever since. And I literally think about it all the time. And I wrote it down, so I'm going to quote him. He said, When someone says, Oh, wow, that's cinematic. What they're really saying is, Wow, you really cared about the frame. You really cared about the visual storytelling. The lighting has meaning that is making me feel something. The camera is in the exact right framing. It feels like a painting or a photograph that's evoking something in me. When we don't say that, it's because it's generalized. When we say cinema, it's because we are aware that care has been taken for every art form involved. The costume, the sound, the detail has been thought out and it's evoking something very specific in us. And I end the quote there. And I that was so impactful to me because I really enjoy creating art that feels cinematic, 
I try not to create art that feels generalized. And I find so much joy in the small details, whether that be hand making a prop or a costume or mapping out the storyline or having intriguing lighting or specific colors. It all has purpose to me. And I want everything that I create to make people feel something. And I hope that people can see the intention and detail that I pour into my work and for it to help evoke feelings. So I was really inspired by M. Knight's care and his attention to detail in Servant. And I only hope that people can see in my work what I see in his. Sorry, that was a really lengthy response. A very valuable response. I learned a lot from it and I hope the listeners did it as well. What a beautiful definition of the word cinematic. I think, yeah, when people give you a specific compliment or they compliment any kind of art or movie, it's difficult to break it down. Even the person giving the compliment might not know exactly what about the art form stood out to them, but they just know it made them feel something. So it was interesting to hear about the details of that and his definition. And I think it's very, it's true. If you see that, if you feel that somebody put a lot of effort into something, if you can feel the lighting, if you can understand that there's, everything is going hand in hand, that there's harmony in the frame, then of course you might be compelled to call something like that cinematic. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that was very interesting. And I definitely can see his influence in your work and you have your own unique style that you've developed over the years. And yes, of course, I'm sure a lot of people would call your work cinematic and would say that they feel something when they look at your photos. And based on your engagement online, that's definitely something a lot of people can confirm. Thank you so much. What advice would you give to aspiring fantasy photographers who want to get better at finding the right costumes and props for their photo shoots? Hmm. I would start off by saying, don't overthink it. I think that it's easy to feel like for something to be, quote, fantasy, your subject needs to be wearing a crown or wielding a sword or wearing some extravagant, elaborate, expensive attire. I know I used to think that way. And I just feel like that can really hinder your creativity. Also, especially if you don't have a budget for that kind of stuff. But also, like I said earlier, thinking that way can really box you in. So just before I go into clothing suggestions, I just want to remind listeners that for me, fantasy is not just in the clothes. It's a feeling. It's in the concept. It's in the story. It's in the way you incorporate light and creative angles. Uh, All those things are going to transport your audience and make something feel magical and fairy tale esque So... All that to say, it is definitely really fun to shoot with the super fancy, elaborate, high-end fantasy clothes like we talked about earlier. But also, if you don't have access to those things, one, never underestimate the power of a simple white dress. Uh, Some of my most favorite fantasy images that I've created have just been with a simple white dress, which you can literally find anywhere. I just feel like it's a really nice, clean canvas. It looks pretty. It looks ethereal. It looks mysterious. So I feel like every fantasy photographer needs a staple white dress. I would also say utilize thrift stores. Again, if you don't have the budget for the high-end stuff, 
I love a good thrift store for props and for clothes. I found some great pieces there. You kind of have to look at things with a different eye. Like I said earlier in the taking creative risks part. And you got to maybe dig a little bit, but you can find a lot of good stuff at a thrift store. Even like I did a, sh- I think I, I think I sent you this as one of my pictures. Maybe there's a girl in the woods in like a gnome outfit and she is, she has her hand on a floating mirror and the mirror is beautiful and it looks expensive and it looks dreamy. My mom found that mirror in roadside trash. Like if you're looking, you can find stuff anywhere. So if you're on a budget, I would suggest looking at thrift stores or yard sales or stuff like that. You can also try and get creative with things like pinning fabric. The amount of times that I have made a fantasy outfit from just pinning some fabric, it's one of my favorite go-tos. But kind of like what I suggested earlier, if you really want to shoot with something more fantastical or high-end, but you don't have the funds to buy them, I often suggest collaborating with people who already have those pieces that you're wishing to shoot. So I do this often. And last, if you want to buy stuff, there's tons of amazing fantasy wardrobe creators on Instagram. Or I would also suggest checking out places like Etsy or honestly, even Amazon if you're in a pinch. Great advice. Once again, thank you very much. And it's great to know that there are different options out there depending on where you live, depending on your budget. Thrift stores can be very affordable. And I think even just going shopping in a thrift store is a creative situation in itself because you have to think outside the box and you have to think differently, as you said earlier. So that can also help you come up with new ideas and just improve your creative skills in general. Mm-hmm, definitely. And how can people find you online? I'm pretty much just on Instagram. Uh, you can find me at Julie underscore Floro. It's pretty easy. <laughs> Great. I'll link to Julie's Instagram and website in the description. So make sure to check, check out her work. Julie, I have one more question for you. And that is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? I would like to continue to make time to create for myself and shoot what I love shooting and what makes me happy despite social media's pressure to conform or to be like everyone else. It it can be so hard staying true to yourself when you are endlessly scrolling what other creators are making. So, so far, I feel like I've stayed really true to myself. And I think my biggest goal, honestly, is just to continue to stay true to myself and continue finding joy in my art. But I also think that it would be really cool to be featured in a magazine like Vogue. So those are those are my two goals. I love those goals. I think your photos are absolutely Vogue worthy. They have the look for that. So I wish you the best with that. Yeah. And I really look forward to seeing one of your photos in Vogue one day. And I hope. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Definitely. And also, I think it's so nice that you want to stay true to yourself as an artist. And it's really important, of course, to stay true to your vision and to do things that feel right to you, especially when creating art, especially when shooting personally. It is very easy to get distracted, but I can see in your work that you really respect and appreciate what you are doing. And I 
I'm sure that is helping and influencing a lot of people positively. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I learned a lot from you and I wish you the very best with your journey. Thank you so much for having me, Taya. This was so fun. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to it and that you learned something new from Julie. I love how creative she is and how she makes the most of her surroundings and props. And I hope that her approach makes you think about photography from a different perspective or inspires you to try something new during your photo shoots. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you go to the supporter page in the description, then you'll find a link to the page where you can leave a review and do other things to support us. It would mean a lot to us if you could leave a review, no matter how short and honest, it can help us boost our reputation and it can help us reach new people. So thank you very much and I'll see you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to PhotographyCourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.